0: Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. What's up, buddy? Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast. Guess what? It's been two years since the release of the first episode of this show. Yeah, time passes by real fast, don't it? No matter if you've been here since the first minute or have just found the show, I'm extremely thankful for the support that you've been giving me. And I hope that I can keep producing content that will entice you to stick with this band for even longer. So massive thanks to you for being part of this worldwide experience and especially for your continuous support. It keeps the show going, believe it or not. NHL Conference Finals are officially underway and the final four teams battling away for the Stanley Cup are Carolina Hurricanes, Florida Panthers, Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars who stretched to a Game 7 victory over the Seattle Kraken. Today, though, we will divert from the playoff action a bit as we recap each non-playoff team season while figuring out what the upcoming offseason could hold for them regarding the 2023-2024 NHL campaign. Last week, we went through the biggest headlines that have popped up during the postseason and also touched upon each conference semifinal series, so If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go check it out because it covered a lot of bases regarding some news that you might have missed in the midst of the playoff battles. But that is going to be today's agenda. Remember to check out the episode description because there you will find all the necessary social media handles and discount info for our show sponsors. Also, leave a rating for the podcast if you enjoy the content. The hardcore fans already know the drill, so... Let's just move on the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. So this jockey start cranking up the volume just like that. Without further ado, let's get go. Okay, so off to a celebratory episode. Like I mentioned, just as the previous episode was released, the Vegas Golden Knights had won the Edmonton Oilers in six games. And because the episode was recorded on Sunday, that info didn't reach you. But I guess at this point, you were fully aware that the Conion McDry saddles had been dumped from the postseason. Kraken as well gave their all in a seven game series against the Stars, but eventually. Dallas' big dogs came up big for them and secured their fourth win of the series and moved on to the conference finals to face the Golden Knights. And now that we are in the top four, the only team from my bracket still kicking is the Stars, so it's safe to say that the bracket was buried a long time ago, and it pretty much started with the Devils Rangers series, but what can you do? Like, it's been laughable how bad my this year's bracket has been, and. Since we haven't seen that many big upsets in the playoffs in recent years, I thought that we had flipped over a, some kind of a new chapter in the NHL where the top teams just bulldoze, for example, the wildcard teams. But that certainly hasn't been the case, although currently three out of four teams still hunting for the cup were placed either first or second in their division. So I guess it's somewhat still is the truth, but Florida is the anomaly in this bunch for sure. But like I said in the previous episode, I'm really excited for the conference finals because we have very even matchups, at least on paper, where in the East, two teams known for their heavy four-check face up against each other, whereas in the West, the remaining two teams have depth up to their ears and play a physical style of hockey, so there is a lot to like about these two remaining series. But that will be all for this week's playoff coverage. Like I said, next we will start to go over each non-playoff team's 22-23 campaign while trying to highlight the possible bright spots and factors that led them missing the playoffs after 82 games. We're going to go team by team and start from the bottom of the standings and we will only focus on teams that didn't see any playoff action this year and later switch the spotlight to the teams that at least had a cup of coffee in the postseason. So first on the board is going to be the Anaheim Ducks and once we've gone over their hilariously bad season, we will slowly start to make our way towards the so-called top and end the episode with Calgary Flames, who were the last team eliminated from the playoff race. But just before we start diving in on the bottom feeders of this year's NHL campaign, we heard some big news coming out of Toronto following their playoff series loss to Florida Panthers. And I think that it needs some addressing given the magnitude of the headline itself. The core message was that Leafs GM Carl Dubes wouldn't continue in his office beyond this year. And some could say straight out of the gates that this wasn't a surprise given that the team hasn't reached any major heights during his run. But you gotta remember that he has led the Leafs to best regular season performances in their history. And he isn't the only one responsible for their failures. And one guy especially that should get some flack alongside him is their president of hockey ops, Brendan Shanahan, who's been running their ship for almost 10 years now. I mentioned in the deadline episode that Dubas should at least earn some credit for his ability to figure out ways to strengthen the team ahead of the playoffs, and I still stand with that statement. And seemingly Shanahan thought the same way, but came to a different conclusion after Dubas's post-playoff press conference. And I gotta say that the way Shanahan brought those things up during the press conference and pretty much just threw Dubes under the bus was pretty classless in all honesty. Especially now that we've come to learn that Shani had been restricting Dubes pretty much every year and was still the one getting the most hate alongside their head coach Sheldon Keefe. And by no means am I saying that his time in Toronto was a total success and the biggest screw-ups of his Leafs legacy, at least in my opinion, were the signing of John Tavares to an 11 million contract. Plus Marner's and Matthews' huge extensions, which handcuffed the entire team pretty significantly so. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Dubas fanboy, but I see a lot of good in some aspects that he addressed during his five-year deployment. And I get that the pressure to succeed is beyond massive in Toronto, but the fact just is that you cannot win with three core guys making over 10 million per year. And now that Matthews' deal is coming up next year and Marner's no-movement clause will kick in on July 1st, they have to make some swift movements on all fronts to figure out their heading for the next season because this ain't the strategy which will bring the cup to Toronto. And honestly, I really do think that this year marks the end of this core four. And at least one of them will be gone by the July 1st. Once again, if you want a deep dive into this topic, I would strongly suggest checking out Steve Dangle's YouTube channel because you will simultaneously get entertainment and education. But the point that I'm trying to get to is that the Leafs big office will have their hands full for the next five to six weeks and the team's outlook could be drastically different before they hit the ice for the first time in October 2023. So, I get your anxiety, ladies fans. Just try to stay calm and wait for any updates because that is the best thing you can do at this point. But that is going to be the only big news piece of this week's show. And next, we will start going through the non playoff teams. And the first team of the episode comes from California. So, let's head there and see how Duck's 2022 2023 flight went exactly. So, Anaheim. How did you do this year? Well, I guess by all means that it could be calculated. We can safely say that their season was a total pancake from start to finish, since they only won 23 games in total this year. And on top of all else, were cocked in the draft lottery by the dominatrix, Batman himself. Even after a terrific tanking operation, they couldn't get their hands on a franchise changing center named Connor Bedard. But Adam Fantilli is a great, great consolation prize if that eases the pain, any way, shape, or form. And hands down, could have been a home run first overall pick in any other draft class, just like Jack Eichel in the 2015 to draft. So that pretty much sums up their season. So, should we just move on? Well, even if you would like me to, I think we got to take a closer look at their performance before we move on to other teams. And at this point, I need to make it 100% clear that even though I joked about Bidman's statement about teams not tanking in the NHL, the real truth really is that players themselves do not want to tank. Go ask any NHL pro if they love to take it up the ass for six months. No spid, no lube before another long off season. I can guarantee you that no one would say yes, because their jobs and pride are on the line every year they suit up and start chasing the basket around the ice. Meanwhile, organizations who don't see a way to find the playoffs and are in the midst of a rebuild, or three, cheers Arizona, will build the team with a certain way that almost forces them to lose to other teams in the league and this way boost their odds to land a high draft pick in the upcoming NHL and to draft. Because for the big heifers, this is a business after all and you know as well as I do that in most cases the best teams are built through drafting so why wouldn't a GM and most of the big cabinet decide to not sign top names in order to make sure that the team loses as much as possible and gets the best odds for the draft while filling up their cap space and not breaking any rules that the NHL has put out to prevent this kind of behavior, but as we just witnessed with the yachts, there are still massive loopholes which enable teams to evade the cap rules, so if they would really like to cut this out, they would need to make massive changes to their policies, but that is topic for another day, and I'm sorry for this elongated speech related to tanking in the NHL. But after all, it's still the truth and tied to the top three of this year's draft, so therefore. I think that it has its place in the segment and now we can get back to Anaheim's regular season performance. So, on the roster front, we didn't see that many bright surprises, but obviously Trevor Zegres being their top scorer with plus 65 points is a great sign. Plus Troy Cherry 61 points in 70 games and Mason McTavish's 43-point rookie campaign brings some excitement for their fans but When the plus-minus columns range from minus 8 to minus 29. You can tell straight to my face that the season was a success, plain and simple. John Gibson looked completely overwhelmed this year, and although I dogged him in one of the episodes, he had great games this year, and probably proved to some teams that he still has it in him, and eventually we could finally see him changing destination, if all marks hold truth. Cam Fowler had himself a career year with one point short of the 50 mark, and Frankie Vetrano's 41 point total is something to build upon, but those are pretty much their big W's from this year's regular season. Lucas Dostal got 19 starts this year and posted decent 0.901 save percentage, so that will without a doubt bring some comfort for the Ducks fans if Gibson ends up leaving. And also, a couple of their top-end prospects got their feet wet at the NHL level, so... Now they just have to hope and pray that they develop to the extent they are expected to. So, all in all, it was a miserable year, especially since they were expected to take the next step this year results-wise, even last year's showing. So, like I've said multiple times in this show, brighter days are ahead. So, now it's just a matter of time once the next generation of NHLers starts to break in and make noise in the bright lights for the Ducks. Then we head to Ohio, and if the year as a whole ended up being full of misery in Anaheim, same can be said about the Columbus representatives. They battled with injuries throughout the hockey season, and like Anaheim, were not expected to be this bad after snatching Johnny Hockey in the offseason. But injuries just killed their momentum early on, and they just couldn't get their play going at any point of the regular season which only led to 25 wins within the 82-game span. But even with some roster handicap, Goodrow was able to prove that they can rely on his scoring prowess since in 80 games he was able to put up 74 points and beat the next guy on the chart by 22 points, who in fact ended up being Patrick Laine, who almost reached the point-per-game mark in 55 games better. If the Blue Jackets want to contend in the East, He needs to stay healthy. There's just no other way to look at it. And the truth just is that this team really missed Jack Wierenski from their lineup because they barely had any defenseman who could get the puck out of their own zone consistently. No disrespect to any of the guys, but that is just the truth. So when you play pretty much the entire season without your number one defenseman, you can expect big results especially if you don't have depth in that department to begin with. And speaking of absence, Elvis merce was just brutal this year, and quite frankly, you can't even put the blame on their skaters, because almost every other goalie that suited up for them had better numbers than him. So after, let's say, two rock-solid seasons, some doubt has started to creep in if he has what it takes to stand between their pipes when the team starts to push towards contender title. And like I mentioned in a previous episode, Cole Sillinger's season was a big disappointment on all counts since after breaking into NHL against most odds and banging home 31-point rookie campaign, he was only able to record 11 points in 64 games and was sent to AHL before the final 15 games to get his confidence back on track. Ken Johnson though looks solid in his own rookie campaign and 40 points out of the gates is extremely promising start, so let's just hope that he doesn't hit the same sophomore wall that Sillinger just banged his head into. And also, Girl Marchenko was a pleasant surprise with 25 points total from 59 games. And if they were in need for some added goal scoring before the season began, I believe that they have just found it from the right-handed Russian, so at least there were a few bright spots in the mix as well. Although It has to be said that pretty much everything else went south. So I believe that their entire front office wants to forget this season as soon as possible and head to the entry draft with different mindset that focuses on bringing success back to Ohio. Then we got the big winner Chicago up next. And I don't joke when I say that this team was fully geared to get the first overall pick right from the get-go. Like, can you realistically see a situation where a team with a goalie tandem of Peter Mrazek and Alex Talok enters the postseason, huh? Yeah, maybe in the KHL, but not in the National League. Like, no cap, this team was built to lose, and not even one player from the roster was able to reach 50 points this year. Some could say that, while they were good collectively, just like Vegas and Carolina, yeah, except that they were the third worst team in the entire league. And yeah, maybe Max Domi and Patrick Kane could have reached the 50 goal mark, but we're dealt away at the deadline, so I will cut some slack on that front, but seriously, I'm surprised that they weren't right at the bottom of the standings when the regular season closed down. Like, they were so bad that it's even hard to find any bright spots from their roster, and I mean seriously, the Only rhino-sized plus on their scoreboard is Lucas Reichel's 15 points from 23 games, but other than that, all you can find is Dash 30s across the field. You might add Taylor Radish's 37 points in 78 games to the positive column, and some youngsters like Wyatt Kaiser, Cole Gottman, and Ian Mitchell showed some promise, but it won't change that much in the wide spectrum, and honestly, their rebuild is just in the beginning stages, so we could be looking at two or three more years of this if they don't end up making big changes in the offseason after drafting Bedard first overall. Yes, that could certainly happen, but more so I'm expecting them to add some veterans to their lineup to guide the young Phenom on his NHL journey. But I wouldn't necessarily expect them changing much since they've got a young upcoming name surging up their ranks, so they don't want to tie themselves up to a situation where they have too many players in their places once they take their next steps towards the NHL. So, I don't have that much more to tell you about their 22-23 season. I was surprised by the fact how they were able to take that many wins this year and to even crush the Penns playoff hops. So, I guess that could be seen as a W if you are a Hawks fan, but uh, once more... Brighter days are ahead and they start from the moment Bedard fits the red, black and white Original Six uniform on him in June. Staying with the Western Conference, next up we got the San Jose Sharks who found themselves from the second last place in the Pacific Division. Unlike few other teams already covered in today's episode, injuries didn't hurt their outcome as much and rather... The team was just not competitive outside of their first line. Timo Meyer got out of the burning building at the deadline, which was probably a relief for him, to be honest, given the rebuilding odds that the team is facing. But unlike Chicago, here we can find a few bright spots that highlighted their season, which otherwise was anything but fireworks and champagne. Eric Carlson went off and finished the year with 101 points, and. If you are a devoted listener, you haven't had a chance to miss that fact, but it's really a big thing since there have been so few players that have actually achieved that milestone, so my hype is really adjusted. Alex Barabanov also kept increasing his numbers and finished the year with 47 points from 68 games, so just missed the 50 dots. And that is pretty much the end of success stories related to San Jose. Like, before the season started, I looked at their roster and wondered where the offense was going to come from and thought that, well, maybe their first line could do some damage and keep them somewhat competitive, but after that, it was going to be either all defense or something in between grinding and trying, and exactly that ended up being what they got from their players this year. Ketcher, Hurdle, Meyer, Carlson, and Barabana were able to contribute offensively, but after those guys, the numbers drop from a cliff and the team's sixth best scorer rises up amongst the mass with 33 points in 72 games. Combo of Reimer and Kahkonen were left on an island most nights thanks to San like lackluster defensive core. And when your depth is built upon throwaway guys, I don't think you can expect any major results and even more so, if your top scorer is a blue liner, you know your top line forwards haven't done their jobs or... Something has really gone badly, so pretty much this bunch met the preseason expectations like many others on this list before them. Long rebuild is upon them, so Sharks fans can expect many years like this before they start to compete again. And the process could really ramp up this summer if they can get rid of Eric Carson's contract, which still seems utopistic to me despite the monster year he just had. Then we head back to East Coast where next on the board is going to be the Montreal Canadiens and due to their strong start, they didn't find themselves right from the bottom of the league but just barely above it. Just like in Columbus, the team was really tortured by big injuries and pretty much at the halfway point when players started to fall to the IR like flies, their performances began to sank but before that, they were on a roll and were able to compete with most of the contending teams in the league. And although no one can say that 31-win season was a success, there certainly were some bright spots which bring more expectations for future, such as Cole Caulfield's great scoring run and 36-point total from 46 games. Kirby Dock's surge from the depths of doubt and Mike Matheson's plus-30-point season equipped with a positive plus-minus column. And we might as well throw in the mix Jordan Harris's, getting Gullis and Rafael Harvey Pinard's rookie performances without forgetting Nick Suzuki's career high offensive total and Samuel Montempo's emergence as a dependable 1B option on the next level. So certainly there is a lot to build around when looking into their next season, but by no means am I expecting them to compete next year since the rebuild is in progress and most of their young guns are just breaking into their lineup, so the goal is to keep developing their game further and to add complementary pieces alongside them to maximize the results without sacrificing the future. Sean Farrell and Cole Hudson are really starting to impress even bigger crowds with their performances as well, so I can confidently say that I'm quite excited for the future based on the pre-2023 results and the prospects that are coming up the ranks. And the last thing I want to say about this team is that it would have been interesting to see how far they could have gone without those injuries, because they really took many teams by surprise at the start. But at the same time, I'm not disappointed by the fact that they get to pick fifth overall and possibly attain another top-end prospect to their already quite stacked pipeline. And then we arrive to the shit show itself called the Arizona Coyotes. And if you haven't kept up with the newest headlines regarding their situation, basically they had a complete arena set up ready to go in Tempe, but the city council ended up declining the whole deal. So now they are back to square one since the project already passed on voting, but the taxpayers said nay. And if they can cut a deal somewhere else, the team could very well get relocated in a couple of years. But let's still keep our foot on the brake pedal before Mr. Bedman himself announces anything regarding this situation because we already got enough speculation surrounding this topic. But that is basically the headache they are currently battling with but when it comes to their 22-23 regular season I gotta say that I underestimated them prior to the start and they were more competitive than what most of us would have probably expected. They got contributions from their young guns like Keller, Schmaltz, Macelli, Kraus, Hayden, Valimaki and Moser. So, if the team ends up staying intact until next year, they will have good pieces in place going forward. But definitely, the fact that Logan Cooley decided to stay in the NCAA for one more year hinders their odds at least to a certain extent. Billingshurst's 33-game stand plus WHL dominance brings lots of hope for their fan base, and thanks to another high draft pick, they have a chance to bolster their prospect front even more from its current state. In their crease, Karol Wimelka stood on his head at times and because of his solid performances was on the headlines during the deadline period, so most likely teams will start calling for his availability again once the official off-season kicks off. So despite their bad record, my confidence towards this team has grown this year and I don't know if it's because teams couldn't take them seriously when playing in an NCAA arena and seeing the entire crowd rocking makeshift mullets better still. At least in my books this year was a minor W, but that could be short-lived if they end up making some drastic moves in the off-season. Nick Schmaltz and Carl Neymelka have been highlighted in the trade rumors, so in the worst case the team could be back to ground zero in a blink of an eye, so at that point this year's progress would have been erased completely, at least in my opinion. And you also got to remember that they dealt away both Jacob Chikrin and Shane Gostesfer from their blue line, so are Valimaki and Moser ready to take the next steps in order to replace them, or will they try to lure in some other names during the free agency, is currently one of my burning questions. But overall, like I said, this year was a small victory, at least in my eyes, but the upcoming summer period will be very telling when it comes to their rebuilding process. And how many changes could we still see before this team starts to get closer to contender title in this league. Philly season though was a horror show from start to finish and it's going to be an interesting summer for this bunch of guys just like I mentioned in the previous episode. Travis Konechnis over point per game season, Kevin Hayes comeback to a 50 point guy, Owen Tippett's 49 dots. Scotland's career high point total and Morgan Frost's small breakout year highlight their season, but other than that, it's fairly hard to find any sparks from their 22-23 campaign, to be completely honest. Ivan Provorov's downfall has been a major setback for the franchise's future outlook, and due to it his name has started to appear more often on the trade rumors. Meanwhile, Rasmus Ristolainen's contract is looking worse and worse by the day so. Say what you want about their organization but those two guys are at the tip of this spear when it comes to possible changes within the organization. At least Carter Hart was able to keep his save percentage above 900 so, in a sense it could indicate that he could raise his level by a notch or two if the team in front of him would be just that much more competent so. If you are a Flyers fan and have started to question the goaltending aspect once again, I would certainly push the brakes at this point because the guy is still extremely young for goalie standards and the defense in front of him has been as reliable as all man's platter. Even Torch himself knew what type of a mountain he was facing when he was appointed as their head coach So, Even if he would have rubbed the genie's lamp, I think even he couldn't have been able to work any magic regarding this team So. I think he certainly was the right guy for the job if they aimed for a similar outcome to Columbus's Miracle of 2019. And probably the best thing for the franchise is the fact that JVR's 7 million contract will come out of their books this summer, so that at least will open up some cap space to work with, but what their heading is going to be for next year will very much decide their off-season actions, there's no doubt about that. They got some promising names coming up the ranks such as Tyson Foster, Bobby Brink, Elliot Denoyer, Emil Andre and Cam York in addition to a couple of others. So if Daniel Briere decides that it's finally time for a full-blown rebuild, expect to see some of those names appearing on Wells Fargo Center's eyes once the next puck drops in October. So all in all to conclude my points, the rough stretch is most likely going to continue in Philly and the right experience could get even worse for the fans if the team heads to a full rebuild. But another high draft pick could bring some light to their situation because last year's first rounder, Carter Gauthier is starting to look that much more ready for NHL ice. So despite the fact that the team is heading to the eye of the storm, there are some glimmers of light in the distance. So that is something the Flyers fans should start to lean on if the rumors become reality this offseason. And just before we continue to DC, we have to hear a few words from our show sponsors. So sit tight, we will continue the regular season coverage after this short commercial break. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. You can always go with the underdogs, for example, Seattle Kraken or the Florida Panthers, or pick the favorites, Dallas or New Jersey, to make some money. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code DHPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code PHPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in Massachusetts. Call 800 327 5050 or visit gambling helpline ma.org. In New York, call 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY 467 369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Let's face it. With coffee starting at $5, And your bank account somehow always depleting. We are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name, so a good duplicate or dupe is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. And one dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on is Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove you that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other more big name tech brands out there. Reiko knows that in this economy every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer Buy Now, Pay Later options, and right now you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee. They offer two years of product protection insurance for just a few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping. Plus, they have over 50,000 star reviews. Their headphones have noise isolation that perfectly suppresses the sound of your annoying neighbor who is drilling a hole on his wall chest as you are listening to this episode. Everyday earbuds also have 8 hours of playtime so it doesn't even matter if the neighbor keeps drilling holes cause you get the battery to face it. And also their headphones are water and sweat resistant so if you're like me and like to spend time in fresh spring air and happen to live somewhere where you are bound to get drenched, for example Vancouver, Great Britain or the Nordics, I would suggest you pick up a pair of these, because they have what it takes to take on that challenge. Go to buyraycon.com slash today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That is, buy b-u-y raycon r-a-y-c-o-n dot com slash THPN to score 15% off by Raycon.com slash phpn. Next we head to US Capitol Washington where facelifting operation is in full effect. Orlov, Hathaway, Johansson, Eller, and Gustafsson are now gone. And if rumors are correct, few others could see themselves in different uniforms when the next NHL season kicks off again. Trade rumors surrounding Kuznetsov have once again emerged as the offseason gets closer, and now even Tom Wilson's name has appeared on the board, so there could be a few intriguing pieces on offer for other teams this summer if they are looking to whale and deal maybe already around the NHL and to draft. But when it comes to teams' performance this year, it should be obvious to most hockey fans that them missing the playoffs was a major disappointment for the entire organization and. As a result, veteran coach Peter Laviolette had to bite the dust due to this collapse. And one of the main factors for this outcome was the fact that John Carlson, Nick Beckstrom and Tom Wilson missed over 40 games due to injuries. And this way forced the Caps to put pressure on guys that more likely weren't perfect fits for what their front office was asking from them. Dylan Strom though stepped up big time this year and ended the season with 65 points to his name, so he at least enjoyed the extra minutes alongside the Great 8. But for example, Kuznetsov's 55 point total from 81 games is just not sufficient enough for a top line center. And due to it, I can't question Laviolette's decision to play him on their third line parts of the year, even without knowing what has gone down on the background. Ovi carried the team's offense on his broad shoulders this year, but missed a 50-goal mark by fittingly, 8 talks, and their depth was decent this year, so... One could argue that they shouldn't be that far away from the playoffs again next year, but in my opinion, it very much comes down to their offseason, and if they are able to replace some of the guys, they let go at the deadline. If they decide to trade away Evgeny Kuznetsov, they will add some additional cap space that they can work with, but. Since the current free agent pool is looking quite shallow, I think they are going to need to acquire the missing pieces through trades so we could see an eventful offseason for this team as well, because currently, if we say that Kuznetsov is out of DC by the end of the summer, they will need to add at least one more centerman to the roster to replace the Eller-Kuz combo, not to mention a replacement for Dmitry Arlov if he doesn't end up returning to Washington in the free agency, because even though Rasmus Sandin came out of the gates with a straight-up guitar solo. He won't replace two guys just like that, so... by looking at the current outlook of teams, we could see an abnormally active offseason compared to few previous ones. But to close out the capital season, goaltending wasn't a huge issue this year, so at least they got that going for them. Their top guns need to stay healthy in order for them to fight for available playoff spots next year, because... The news is slowly getting tighter and tighter given the current trend curves of few East Coast teams such as Buffalo and Detroit, who will get the spotlight in just a moment. And they still got always chasing the all-time scoring record, so until then, I think no one can expect them to be anything but a playoff contender, just like their close rival, Pittsburgh Penguins. So keep your eyes on this team, because we may see a few big changes this summer, and the funny thing is that they most likely won't be the only one activating once the offseason kicks off officially. Detroit is up next, whose season went pretty much like I expected, so close to playoff spots, but not close enough to find themselves from the postseason itself. Dylan Larkin earned his big paycheck and deservedly so, because the captain notched 79 points in 80 games, but after him we see quite a massive drop-off in the points department, so there's still some work left to be done before they can be seen as a serious contender in the challenging Eastern Conference. They also ended up selling at the deadline, which alleviates some cap space for future moves, but given Iserman's track record, I would assume that he would want to keep developing his young stars for their future roles rather than go deep-sea fishing in the offseason, but who knows. guess there are some intriguing names on the market, and most likely, most of them will come with a discount because of the current state of the trade market. Detroit has the tools to make some drastic changes to the roster, and some fans probably start to hyperventilate already given the sophomore slumps of both Raymond and Sider. but let me tell you bud, do not panic. This is part of the ride, and you still got guys like Edvinson, Kasper, Söderblom, Wallinder and a few others, so there really isn't reason to panic here. And I would even go as far as say that if Raymond and Sider can bounce back to their elite level next year, they end up acquiring one more name to their top six or possibly to their blue line and who so keeps his level in net. This team could be pretty close to a playoff spot because the depth was there already this year. So in a perfect situation, that could be possible, but it's still too early to tell because we don't know what kind of Aces Ironman has up in his sleeves when heading to the offseason. Jake Wallman's small breakout was nice to see, but just like I said in one of the previous episodes, I'm pretty sure that Zedina's time in Detroit is quickly coming to its end, because this was another disappointing year for him, and they got a bowl lot of other young guns coming up, so I just can't see an outcome where he keeps his place within the organization, given his high draft status and, at best, mediocre results from his first four years in the big leagues. And please don't even get me started with Ben Chiracus. He was a total traffic cone this year and makes me question his acquisition even more. And I believe that many Wings fans have already lost some of their two pace because of his presence on their blue line. Jonathan Bairgren's rookie season was convincing as well. So I believe that his role will only keep increasing from this point on. But... The game is pretty wide open for them heading to the next season. This year was a filler year in a sense that probably their front office knew that they were not going to compete yet against the best of the best and thus made the smart decision to sell at the deadline. Rather than make some drastic changes to their roster and possibly give up some draft capital, so... In a sense, you could see this year as a small win because the team ended up meeting the expectations many set for them before the season started. Of course, if you forget Raymond's insider sophomore slump, so... Getting a top 10 selection after this kind of a year will most likely bring lots of joy for their head honchos and keep them optimistic when heading for another offseason. Same cannot be said about St. Louis Blues though since the team really got bent over backwards this year and ended up missing the playoffs by a large margin. This resulted in a small scale retail which saw Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Achari. Barbashev and Mikkola leaving in the team, in exchange for semi-play, Jacob Vrana and Kasperi Kapanen, who both had strong starts with their new team. The team was extremely streaky this year and it seemed like they couldn't get hold of their game at any given point, not to mention the few brain cramp shows provided by Jordan Binnington, so the next offseason will be a big one for them as well if they aim to find themselves from the playoff picture once again after one year absence. Both Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas had rocky starts to their season, but were eventually able to climb back closer to the point-per-game average, while Pavel bushnevich had himself another plus-65-point season, so certainly they are not in need for a full-blown rebuild, but more so, in a situation to find complementary pieces for these guys who will lead their team for the foreseeable future, which will replace the old guard of Tarasenko and O'Reilly. Justin Falk ended up being their workhorse on the blue line and in the end was rewarded for his efforts with a career-high point total, but if they aim to challenge the top teams in the West next year, Colton Pareko and Tori Krug need to be better, there's no way around it. And they might have to shop for a goalie because their current one is more keen on causing havoc on the ice than stopping pucks. And Thomas Kreis is washed, so they definitely got some work to do, if that wasn't obvious already. The sample size for both Vrana and Kapanen is still way too small to draw any conclusions from their progress because, for example, Matthew Joseph was almost a point per game since his trade to Ottawa, and this year he couldn't even reach 20 points, so... Their point total should certainly boost their confidence, but a full regular season is a totally different scenario, so we will check up on them later on next year and see if that productivity has translated to a brand new hockey season. But just like I mentioned in the season previews, this team had stayed pretty much the same since their recent cup run, and therefore, it was expected that they would be amongst the top teams of the West at the end of the regular season, but... Inconsistent play, in addition to horrific goaltending, led them to this situation. So, we'll see where they will take this carousel before the next season rolls around. And by the way, Mr. Armstrong and Berube, please, let Joel Hofer be our backup because he will be our next starter. Thank you. Then we head to Canadian West Coast and... If you are a Canucks fan, you might want to skip this part because I don't have that many positive things to say about your hockey club after another debacle of a hockey season. Highlighted by another coaching change, trading your captain away and signing the biggest D-zone liability to your roster for the next eight years. So I can only imagine the joy of being a Canucks fan. But seriously. What exactly were the positives that they should carry over to next season? Elias Peterson's monster year as a leader of their subpar offense core. Andre Kuzmenko's terrific rookie campaign featuring 39 tucks and 35 apples. Yep, we can cross that over as well. What else? Brock 55-point year. Mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes' carrier high point total. Yep. And maybe you could sneak in Anthony Beauvillier's strong start in Canucks uniform, but that's about it. So only the first line deserved their paychecks this year. Yeah, sounds about right. That sure couldn't stop a beach ball and pretty much they played the entire year without defensemen. So I guess it makes more sense now when you connect their record to those few aspects. Oh, yeah but they as well battled with injuries. Well, fuck that. If Ilya Mihaev, Tanner Pearson and Oliver ekman Larson were the guys that decided their fate, you can go stomp on some Legos, because that statement won't hold any water, I can tell you that for free. First course of business should be to deal away Conor Garland's contract, because that is way easier task than trying to deal away J.T. Miller's anchor contract. And then to buy out Oliver Ekman-Larsen because he has still four more years remaining on his contract and since you won't be able to deal that away. Of course, if Arizona isn't willing to take it on for four first round picks, you need some of that money because the only guys becoming UFAs or RFAs are Vitaly Kravtsov, Ethan Bear, and Carl Burrows, so you ain't getting any cap space this summer and on top of that, you acquired one-way defenseman Philip Roenick to your bull line at the deadline, so there's additional $4 million to fill up the gap. for Christ's sake. Like, at this stage, both Pedersen and Hughes gotta be thinking, like, what the F is wrong with this franchise? GM after GM, coach after coach, and same rally continues day in and day out. And due to it, It forces me to think that these two might not stay in BC for that much longer if the team doesn't get competitive because Pedersen's deal is coming to its end next year and he will ask for a deal that they might not even be able to afford. And even though Hughes is signed until 2027, I can't imagine him staying to witness this clown show to be 100% real with you. So in my mind, It's do or die time for the Canucks because next year they will have a boatload of free agents to sign. And you still got guys like Tucker Pullman, OEL, Connor Garland, Brock Besser and J.T. Miller signed beyond that. So I can't even address enough the fact how decisive the next year will be for the franchise that has been retooling for north of six years. So good luck Canucks fans. You are going to need it. First so that your ownership doesn't end up shooting themselves in the foot even more, and second, so that you can get some real results from your next campaign in order to keep Patterson's and Hughes's interest in being part of this hilarious comedy special. So yeah, dreadful season by all accounts, and for some reason I don't expect much to change before the next season kicks off, but... I would gladly welcome some changes because we've witnessed this routine reoccurring a couple of times already, so it would be a nice breeze of fresh air for the lack of better terms. Ottawa's results were not in line with their expectations and being out of the playoff picture was probably a big disappointment for their players as well as their front office, but when you look at the other teams that are just coming off of a rebuild like Detroit and our next team Buffalo, They didn't make the postseason either, so at least in that sense they are on par with their competition. But I myself saw them being a playoff team ahead of this year's campaign and I still think that they were a step ahead at least of Detroit in a sense that Brady Ketchak, Thomas Chabot and Drake Patterson are not NHL newcomers anymore. And Team Stutzle just had his real breakout year without forgetting the additional Claude Giroux, so... I think I had a reason to believe that they would have been the team from the trio to make it past the regular season, but inconsistency, bad defensive game and lackluster goaltending ended up being their demise, but I think their season had some upside as well, so I wouldn't necessarily see it as a total fiasco despite the result. Stützle broke 90-point mark, Brady reached over point per game average, and veteran Giroud 79 points in 82 games was convincing, so... Those guys are going to need some assistance next year if they aim to beat their this year's record and advance to the postseason. And one guy in particular who needs to amp up his scoring is Alex DePrengat, whose point total dropped by twelve from last year so if he ends up staying in Ottawa, he will need to increase his scoring numbers to make them that much more lethal a team to play against. Cam Talbot isn't coming back to Ottawa for next year, so it's going to be interesting to see which tandem will man their blue paint once the puck drops for the 23-24 campaign. And also, one of the more anticipated aspects is going to be how many prospects are we going to see on their starting roster, because this year, Jake Sanderson, Ridley Gregg, Kevin Mandalese, Tyler Cleven, Matt Sogard, and Jacob Bernard-Docker made their first appearances, so... Could we see guys like Angus Cruikshank, Robbie Arventia, or even Zach Ostapjak debuting with their jersey on? Jacob Tikren's addition to their blue line is going to be a big one if he ends up staying healthy for full 82 games or at least 65 or so. And since currently the rumor is that there should be few pretty decent starters available for a trade, I think Ottawa could be one of the teams chasing them. So all in all, I don't see them making any massive changes to their roster, and more than likely, the first thing for the offseason would be to get Cat locked up. So, in my eyes, this was a strong building year for the franchise, but there's still work to be done development and performance wise before becoming a threatening foe for the other Eastern Conference teams. But certainly, this year, it was a blast to follow the battle between the three young and upcoming teams Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa, and the arms race between these three is only going to ramp up in the coming year. So as a have fan, i like to see that we got some competition for the cup runs in the future. And speaking of Buffalo, we might as well move there next, because even after a stellar regular season performance, they ended up missing the postseason by a few inches and yet again get to pick in the top 15 in the upcoming NHL entry draft. And what in fact brought them so close to playoffs was the fact that their young guns, Thompson, Daleen, Cousins, Middlestad, Samuelson, Power, Quinn and Peterka took massive steps in their development while more season names such as Alex Tuck, Jeff Skinner, Kalak Pozo, and Semgus Jurgens were there to assist them on their journey. So This team really surprised many fans this year and didn't just fade away into the mass after a quick start just like years prior. Also, at this point, it's common knowledge that Tage Thompson is a superstar in this league since he ended up missing the 100-point mark by just six points and was three goals away from becoming a 50-goal guy. So I think their first line center problem is now solved for years to come. And once he breaks that three-number mark, he will become one of the biggest deals contract-wise in the league. And probably the closest guy I could compare him to would be Leon Dreisadl, given his laughable current deal. So, although they aren't necessarily neck-in-neck production-wise, you get the point that I'm trying to make here. Rasmus Dahlin was also on over point per game pace for most of the year before his injury, and after that, his production took a small hit, but 73 point total from 78 games is still extremely respectable. And you can't just pass by Dylan Cousins' 68 dots and Casey stats 59, which are right up there with most of the second liners of the league. And on top of all else, Owen Powers' 35-point rookie campaign added to Jack Quinn's 37 and Peterka's 32 only ramps up the hype around this franchise. And just before you Sabres fans start to leak in your pants, I got another juicy D coming for you. Are you ready? It's the big D himself, Devon Levi, straight out of Montreal, get back, and his massive 6 foot, 183 centimeter frame. Notice the sarcasm here. No, but seriously, all the right pieces seem to start falling in their places at the perfect time, because you hadn't had this kind of a stud first-line centerman since probably Dale Howard-Chuck. You know, you could maybe argue for Chris Drury or Daniel Breer, but Dale without questions, it's different, at least in my mind. But now you got the right-handed crane up top making defenders search for their belongings on their way to dressing rooms with the way he dangles them out of their skates. In addition, you got the Swedish conductor manning your blue line whose soapy shoulders and puck distribution skill bring me flashbacks from Eric Carlson's glory days in Ottawa. While the Victor Hedman 2.0 just entered the conversation with his rookie season on their second pairing and just like I mentioned, probably... A top five NCAA goalie of all time, just entered your crease with some filthy swagger. So, you could have just got yourself a Uzasaros 2.0, which is pretty much just his floor potential-wise. So, hopefully, you start to understand that this team will be a menace in a couple of years. Seriously, it may take some time before these guys really start challenging for the cup, but for sure they are going to be up there in the standings, I have no questions about that, so even though they didn't end up making the playoffs this year, was a massive win for them in a sense that they at least didn't start to crumble before the All-Star break like they've done in years past. And now you can actually see some concrete evidence of them getting somewhere else than the basement of the NHL, so I think Buffalo fans should be pretty stoked for the future without a doubt. But that will be my two-hand pump for the day. And as a cherry on top, I also would like to remind you that guys like Lucas Rusek, Yuri Kulic, Matthew Savoie and Noah Eslund are still few years away from the NHL star So if you are looking for a new bandwagon for the future, this team could be a perfect fit for you if you have few years still to wait. And then we arrived to the final trio and first we are going to uncover Pittsburgh's season which ended in a fiasco right at the doorstep of the NHL postseason. Two massive L's to Chicago and Columbus to close out their season led them to the Lynx prematurely and as a reward also their big office was completely renovated right after the season had been put to bed. But unlike with Washington, their team can't fall back on injury since most of their core guys stayed healthy this year, Chris Letang being the only exception. So what actually went sideways that badly that they ended up missing the playoffs completely? Well, let me tell you. There was no consistency, none, whatsoever, besides Sid the Kid, Gino and Jake. They were consistent, but everything else was as consistent as a drug addict's pulse. This team blew so many leads this year that even Mia Khalifa was impressed with it and NFL fans probably thought that the Raiders were playing in Penguins uniforms this year. Tristan Jerry had some Vesna-level performances at times but only a few days later looked like a songbird that was shot with a shotgun from point-blank range, so... It really is no coincidence why they missed the playoffs at the end of the day. And honestly, it's ridiculous how soft the team was besides Sid, Gino and Tanger who had to go after guys after cheap shots and big hits. So when you know that one of your former GMs was known for his recklessness inside the rink, you gotta put some shame on him because he couldn't address a clear need that the team was lacking the whole year. Jeff Peter was hit with minor injuries, same as Marcus Pedersen, who has become their second most reliable defenseman, which tells a lot about their blue line. No offense to Pedersen. Meanwhile, their depth just couldn't answer the call this year, which was one of their strengths during their multiple cup runs. In addition, both Brian Rust and Brian Dumoulin had terrible years individually, so pretty much this result was a sum of multiple different factors that played their part in the equation and therefore... I feel bad for the core trio who tried to force the playoffs down their throat but because of multiple shortcomings the team fell apart during the final stretch and the outlook for next year unfortunately ain't that much better either when looking at their current roster situation. Mikael Granlund's additional 5 million deal doesn't ease up their situation while they have to figure out the fate of Jason Zucker, Dumoulin and Jarry so big offseason coming for the Penn squad as well so as you can see there is a real reason why I expect this offseason to become crazier than what many might actually think. The penultimate team of this week's episode is going to be the Nashville Predators and the same rules apply to them as well when they are heading to a big offseason given that the new GM Barry Trotz is going to take the wheel in the Music City and because of their sellout at the deadline, even more changes should be expected once the offseason starts officially. But despite the fact that they ended up missing the playoffs, I don't necessarily see their season as a complete failure since if you've been with this ride for some time now, you know that I've been calling for a GM change for some time now. So now that Poyle will step out and Trotz will step in his shoes, we could start to see some brighter days As Maxwell, because at least in my opinion, the air started to get really stale around the organization. And it almost seemed like the team made same moves year after year, but just changed the surname on the back of the jersey and surprisingly, ended up getting similar results, so at least I really hope that this will start a new era in Nashville, which leads them back to real playoff contention. Post-10 inside their front office was tremendous, at least in my metrics, and he left the team in a pretty decent shape before he walked out, so I really do think that this will be the new beginning for the franchise, even if it would come with a few-year retooling process. But when it comes to their actual regular season, well in short, everyone returned back onto the earth after last year's overachievement and, for example, Ryan Johansson's 28-point total from 56 games looks way more familiar than his 63 from last year. Roman Yossi had a tough start point-wise to his season, but towards the end he was able to get back closer to a point-per-game average. And Matt Duchesne's 56-point campaign isn't anything out of the ordinary, just like Forsberg missing 30 games isn't either. But the definite bright spots from this year were the emergence of Tommy Novak, who was a monster for them during the back half of the season with 43 points in 51 games. So it will be interesting to see if he will be able to keep up his scoring again next year. Whereas Yusuf Patterson's breakout to the NHL team came right out of the left field as well, and after a fiery start, started to settle down production-wise and ended his campaign with respectable 25-point total. Meanwhile, former Vegas first-rounder Cody Glass produced his first full year in the show and took away 35 points from it in total, so there are certainly some building blocks that Trotz can utilize while he reworks the frame of his Midwest team. And lastly, I also got to give credit to Jose who was fantastic between their pipes yet again. So partially I feel bad for him because he was not from the Vesna Trophy race, as you probably know if you listened to the previous episode. But all in all, like I said, I don't think that this was a massive disappointment for the team. Of course, the players would have loved to play some postseason hockey, but... Only 16 teams every year make it to the last dance, so this time they were in the losing end of the equation, but hopefully soon they will be back in the saddle with the best teams in the West. And oh yeah, before we move to Calgary starfire, I need to give final shoutouts to Luke Evangelista, whose name I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast due to his stellar numbers from the OHL and the AHL, plus Phil Tomasino. Who broke into their lineup after the trade deadline and looked really comfortable on the NHL ice? So, those two studs are most likely going to take bigger pieces of the ice time cake once the Preds head to the next NHL campaign the upcoming fall. Oh, yes, and then we get to the juicy stuff. Calgary Flames will be the final team featured in our today's episode and If you, my friend, are expecting some kind of rosy lullaby from me at this stage, you couldn't be more wrong, because they are going to get the same treatment as the Canucks did just moments ago. And like, where would I even begin? Well, it's easy to retract my steps to the preseason and start from there, because If you can recall, I mentioned that sometimes new players take time to adjust to new organizations and their structures. And unfortunately, the process is still going on with Kadri, Uyghur, and Huber, though. So best you Flames fans can do is to hope that they are done with this, whatever this phase is by the end of the summer. Because once the puck drops again in October, those guys are really needed if they want to avoid similar outcome come the next season and yeah I do remember that I was also the down one expecting them to make the playoffs but this is the outcome when you can't win one goal games and end up losing in overtime or shootout like can you imagine that they lost 17 yes 17 games in the overtime or in the shootout and 30 one goal games with that manpower Pretty tough go, am I right? Well, if that was rough to think about, just imagine scoring 115 points last year and dropping to 55 this year. Yeah, 60-point difference with my math. And that is the NHL's current point-drop record, owned by Jonathan Huberdo, who seemed to be a lock for 100 points per season after partnering up with Shasha Barkov in Florida. Add to that total mediocre years from Nazem Kadri and Andrew Mangiapane and you have a pretty decent soup in your hands, not to mention the total freefall that Markstrom just experienced. Like, to a certain extent, I'm lost for words when trying to describe the shit show we just witnessed because with this roster, they should be hanging around the top of the Western Conference on a yearly basis, so how on earth they end up missing the playoffs completely. Well, if you want the specifics, go to episode 71. because from there you will find a full breakdown of the events that occurred just prior to the official postseason. No, but seriously, this team sank hard this year, and now that their main hunchos, aka head coach and GM, are going to change, it's going to be interesting to see what that will do to teams' morale, since, as we know at least according to most recent rumors, the air from their locker room has pretty much been sucked off and don't even think about taking that out of context. So for example, could we see a major bounce-back season from Huber though, now that he most likely gets to play more freely, and doesn't have to grind alongside, for example, Milan Lucic on the wrong win off their third line. Add to that possible trades that they will conduct, and we got a pretty spicy off-season coming up for them as well. And one of the names highlighted on the trade market recently has been Noah Hanefin, so. I think he could fetch a pretty decent return for his services. But uh, before that, though, I would imagine that the new GM at least will be hired. And once that puzzle has been solved, next on the line is going to be the man behind the bench. So not only is their situation going to be interesting on the player front, but also on the management side. And therefore, I'm intrigued to see what the heading is going to be for this franchise that has gone through lots of rough patches as of late. But with that, we are done so with our this week's show. Like I mentioned, I'm expecting pretty hectic offseason this time around, despite the fact that current pre-agent pool is shallow at best. So I think that we will have quite a few topics to cover this summer. So make sure you tune in each time to hear where we are on the NHL's yearly drama curve. Thank you so much for stopping by. Check out the media handles. Plus the sponsor discounts from the description and leave a rating for the podcast while you go browsing for any previous episodes that you might have missed before I hope you enjoyed make sure to enjoy some playoff hockey while you still can and more than anything have an awesome week you beauty stay tuned stay safe until next time Aurra.